0: You're listening to A Little Bit Dusty, all things country, rural and outback Australia. Grab a hot or cold one and enjoy the conversation ahead. G'day guys, welcome to episode two of A Little Bit Dusty. First of all, I'd just like to say thank you to absolutely everyone who has listened to the intro and our very first episode with Nick Kappa. Uh, all the support from uh, friends, family and other new listeners as well um it's the yeah, first episode has been very well received uh i've received a lot of compliments for the context of the show uh how my voice sounds and a few other things as well so yeah i can't thank everyone enough it's been uh great to know that the start of this little idea has um started off very strong we've got a lot of people lined up for the rest of the series and yeah i can't wait to share more stories with you from my side and uh from all the other guest sides as well so As I've stated on uh, social media, by the way, we now have an Instagram as well. You can search for a underscore little bit dusty and you'll be able to find some other posts and other things there that you can follow on with while we're waiting for each episode to come out. Uh, Also, you can uh, send us a message or view my page at underscore big tice, B-I-G-T-Y-S and that's where I'll be posting a few things uh, related to the podcast and stuff as well. So if you've seen the post from the Little Bit Dusty Instagram, I was going to make an episode before the next guest comes on, just a bit of a solo spiel about uh, what got me uh, interested in the Outback in the first place and why I wanted to do this podcast and um, also the update from the festival that I was basing my road trip around called the Mundy Mundy Bash. So if you haven't heard episode one, I'd highly recommend you jump on uh, Spotify, Castbox, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast, and uh, listen to episode one because uh, we, it gives you a bit of an idea as to what the show is about. Um, you know how the context and the dynamic and everything else, and then that way you'll be up to date and understand the progression throughout the uh, rest of the series. So, the Monday Monday Bash is the sister festival of the Birdsville Big Red Bash. Which has just finished up, I think, or uh, was it last week? So, Birdsville is in Queensland. It's like the most southwest border of Queensland before it joins up with Northern Territory and uh, New South Wales. So, out in the Simpson Desert, it's um, yeah, pretty much out in the sticks. It's a lot of fun. Uh, two years ago, I went to the Birdsville Big Red Bash with my dad. We did a big six week trip. We covered places like, we went to places like Moree, Bollin, uh, Burke, Lightning Ridge. Um, then up once you get to pass up to the Queensland border, we had further West and then Charleville, kind uh, where we go? Thargaminda, Yolo, all sorts of places. If you don't know much about those places, just have a little Google, check them out in the maps, see the different uh, kind of terrain that's around there. And, um, yeah, we went a different way on the way up and a different way on the way back. And it was a lot of fun. So the, the big red bash that I went to in 2019, uh, midnight oil was headlining and that was just an absolutely stellar moment. Um, yeah, Midnight Oil, The Living End, Casey Chambers, Richard Clapton, 1927, Busby Maru, Born Again, Wendy Matthews, uh, The Choir Boys, Steve Kilby from The Church, The Gliders, Chocolate Starfish, Neil Murray, uh, Steve Valley from Noise Works, The Chan Mark Williams uh, from Dragon, Dale Ryder from Boom Crash Opera, and um, we had oh, who else was there? There was uh, the Crack Up Sisters. They're a comedic kind of whip cracking. Sister duo with a dog from uh, Winton who kind of emcees and hosts the show as well as the Big Red Bash kind of house band where all the other guests come on as well. It was, yeah, an unforgettable experience. I'll get into more of that a bit later. Um, That's just to give you an idea of what the Big Red Bash is about. So the Monday, Monday Bash is just the sister gig but in New South Wales organised by the same people. Uh, It's now been postponed, unfortunately, given what was happening in COVID uh, with New South Wales. Uh, all the states have still got the border shut and that sort of thing. So, yeah, we unfortunately are not having the bash uh, in August, but it's now been moved from the 23rd to the 25th of September. So if it sounds like something you're interested in, I'm pretty sure there's still tickets around. The headline act for the Monday Money Bash is Paul Kelly. So, you know, I'm sure that when I get up there in September, given all things work out well, I'm sure there'll be everyone with their gravy bowls singing how to make gravy and – uh uh, going absolutely bonkers for it. Uh, there'd be Paul Kelly, Ian Moss, John Williamson, who I'm very keen for, Tim Finn, Kate Sobrano, Glenn Shorrock, Ross Wilson, Vicar, Vicar and Linda, Wendy Matthews, Shane Howard, Shannon Noll, good old Nolsey, Dragon, The Radiators, Chocolate Starfish, uh, My Sex, The Chan Born Again. If you don't know Born Again, they're uh, an Abbott tribute band out of Melbourne, and they had the biggest crowd besides Midnight Oil at the uh. Birdsville Big Red Bash in 2019. So that's saying something. They've got, um, yeah, they cover the songs very, very well. They've got a massive audience. So yeah, it's just a good old time. Uh, so brought again, Mark Gable, Steve Balby, uh, the Crack Up Sisters, yep, the Furnace and the Fundamentals and the Bash House Band. So I was really looking forward to this one. <clears throat> I've been uh, saving up and scheduling a bit of a trip, a bit of a three-week road trip. I was going to head out to a few different places uh, on the way up and then head out to well uh, yeah Silverton Whitecliffs Fowler's Gap and eventually arrive in Broken Hill probably five days before the bash, and um, yeah just kind of soak it all in and then uh, go down to well, I was hoping to go down to Mildura and check out Mungo, and then go through Bathurst and Orange and stuff on the way home. But um, hopefully all things uh, permitting and all things looking good, we should be able to st- I should still be able to do that in September. But we'll just have to see what happens. So the Monday, Monday Bash has been postponed until September, and that's the lineup. up um, All you need to know, if, if I'm not going to read it again, but uh, Paul Kelly, Ian Moss, and John Williamson, that's that's the top three interests in my books anyway. So all the more reason to uh, go out and experience a bit of Outback culture and as well as a massive music festival too. Um, hopefully it can still go ahead, you know, on the contrary of all the sports stadiums still being able to run at quarter capacity, half capacity, full capacity, the whole – up and down yo yo, it's been while all the music uh, venues and festivals and everything else have always been ceased or temporarily postponed. So, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate, but look what well, he's hoping. You know, I haven't booked any accommodation yet, which was uh, fortunate. So, I'm just going to see how August plays out and then mid September. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully I can still do my road trip and I have plenty more stories, plenty more things to talk about on this podcast. So,. That's the Monday Money Bash kind of little update, uh, I suppose, out of the way. Um, and yeah, like I said at the start, we're going to talk about something different um, this episode. It's just going to be a bit of a spiel as to what got me interested in the Outback in the first place, and a bit of detail on some of the uh, trips I went on as well. So I think it was in, what was it, twenty six twenty sixteen. 2016. Uh, moved out of my first place, uh, lived with another mate of mine down in uh, Collaroy. So, you know, I've been born, raised on the beaches and moved from uh, Eleanor Heights to Collaroy. I was there for about four years or so and I was working in a club down in Brookvale. Um, so I was in hospitality for about oh, four years or so. And, um, yeah, look, it's got a bit of a point where I felt I was just a bit of a, just a bit of a, a null, you know. Like it was just a bit of a kind of cycle, a bit of a rep- repetitive circle. And I thought, oh, I just want to go out for a bit of an adventure, just go try to do something different, you know, go out for a bit of a road trip, um, you know, being, being single and, uh, just kind of having my options open, I thought oh, I may as well do a little solo road trip and check some places out, so I was, uh, watching this, not much watching as much anymore, but, um, was pretty hooked on the show, uh, on telly for the, to- um, you know, at the time called, uh, Blokes World, they've been going for, oh jeez, I don't know, what, 25 years now, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's all things bogan. It's, a, it's an absolute classic show. They've um, kept it a bit more PC now because of, you know, they've had to, because they've been streaming onto other platforms, that sort of thing, or sorry, or distributing out to other platforms, that sort of stuff. But um, they go to all these different amazing places, uh, you know, besides the things like Burnout Love dedications and all the other kind of just silly skits they have, you know, or you, 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 you Me Car Park Now, that sort of thing. They um, go to all sorts of different places that, well, for me, I hadn't heard of until I started seeing the show. And um, there was an episode that they did where they went to a place called Talon Bend, which is probably, I think, from memory about two hours, what would it be, two hours east of Adelaide. It's like two hours before you you hit Adelaide, the main road there. And um, there's a place in Talon Bend called Old Talon Town. So they went to this place called Old Talon Town and they met with this dude called Peter Squires who – He's spent his whole – he's still he's still down there now, well, hopefully. Hopefully he's still alive. He's a bit of an old troop at the moment. He spent I don't know how many years. He started from just planting a couple of trees, and he ended up building this whole town by himself pretty much uh, to replicate what it was like living in Tayland Bend between the period of – I hope this is right – 1840 to 1940. So he started off with – I think he built up eventually to a street – and, um, you know, he had this big passion to try and recreate what it was like living there, you know, making all these and uh, yeah, making all these uh, you know hand drills and everything else. And a lot of other people, when they started to get interest and uh, support what he was doing, they eventually donated things like, you know, old fire trucks from the 1930s and, uh, you know, parts of rooms from old dentists and hospitals and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, these guys from Blokesworld, uh, Ada and Camber 3, were down there having a chat to him. And Peter was pretty much explaining about uh, – You know, what what he was trying to do and what he's achieved. And that's just really, it really just kind of caught my eye because I thought, there's this kind of old timer who's just got this, you know, fantastic but also pretty crazy idea just to uh, recreate what it was like living in these areas. And he's done it all by hand and, you know, with the help of a few people, but, you know, the majority of the work's been, you know, for himself. So I was pretty astonished. I thought, wow, this is, uh, you know, this is crazy. This guy's done something, you know, quite different here. So I started making notes in my phone. And the title was just called "Places to Visit." So the first place, first place was um, Taylor Bend, uh, you know, for South Oz. And then I started just following just different pages on social media, like uh, you know, visit South Australia, visit New South Wales, that sort of thing, mainly on Instagram as well, because as we know, Instagram is a more kind of photo-based type of social media. And um, they just, yeah just started coming up with all these different posts of just these really beautiful places and other places I haven't heard of. So over time. Uh, within yeah, you know, watching more episodes of this Bloke's sword show and a few other different uh photos and different maybe, you know, other bits of tele I've seen along the way, I eventually had this little list of uh different places I wanted to check out. And uh yeah, it eventually went up, ended up going between three states. So I drew I've got a uh, printed out like a you know a rough map of that little kind of quadrant of where all the places where I wanted to go. And um they all ended up joining up uh, pretty nicely into like a, you know, a bit of a kind of odd kind of circle shape. So I thought, right, all these places that I now want to check out, um, they can all kind of work within like a kind of start and end point pretty smoothly. It's not going to be like a, you know, a windy snake or anything like that. So I thought, right, I'm going to take a, what, I think I ended up taking about four weeks off, took four weeks off, saved up a bit of coin, nowhere near as much as I should have, but I think now looking back on it, it's probably what made it more and more what made it more exciting, and um, yeah, I just going to head out. So I was—I think I'm still casually employed at the place I was at, and they were fortunate enough to still keep me on when I was, um, you know, when I got back, rather than kind of, you know, having me throw my job in for the sake of a little break. So I was got more excited. I thought, yes, all right, you know, now got to work towards saving up some coin and going and checking these places out, and uh, off I went. So the route went something like. I started from – so I started from my place in Coloroy. The first place I stopped at was um, Aladala. If, no if no one knows where that is, it's near Milton. Um, it's down near the south coast. It's a lovely, lovely spot. Uh, my dad's friend has got a property down there that we've known for years and years. And um, he was more than happy to have me stay there. It's the start of my trip, which I was uh, very thankful for. I was there for about, uh, I think, five days or so. So I went from Aladala down to Eden. I should say as well – uh, half the places that I went through uh, were mates' places, so which you know saved a bit on accommodation and sort of stuff as well. And the rest were on unpowered uh, camping grounds. So went from Aladala through to Eden, um, from Eden down through to Melbourne. Um, saw a mate of mine there, hung around there for a bit. Then from Melbourne I drove through to uh, the, through the Great Ocean Road. Went to Taylorm Bend. I got actually pretty got up early in pretty sure. Went to Taylorm Bend. And what I liked about going through to Taylor Bend and eventually seeing old, old Taylor Town was everyone was that was there I was only, only kind of there for about, I don't know, an hour and a half or two hours or so. I was there for the whole day. I made sure I saw every single item that was there, every single street, every single side alley, every single thing that this guy created. I wanted to make sure that I got the full scope. So it got to about, oh, what was it, 4 o'clock or something. I was staying at a mate's place in Adelaide. Uh, that afternoon, and I was just about to head back or, you know, come back through the main entrance and uh, get a bit of uh, merchandise and a bit of memorabilia to uh, just, yeah, just to appreciate, you know, the place that I've been and the fact that I've just been to Old Salem Town, you know, this place that I've heard so much about. And as soon as I turned around to have a look at, you know, whatever it was, the uh, tea towels or the stubby holders or whatever it was, Peter Squires, the bloke himself, was there. And I said to the lady, I was like, that's 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 not a is – is that, is that Peter Squires? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's Peter Squires there, the man who built the place. Yeah, yeah, he's right here. Yeah, we just live in a property out the back. So that was his partner. And I was going, oh, and I was like, oh g'day, mate. And, you know, this you know, kind of gentle person. that he said, oh, day, you got a young cover? Oh, what's your name? And I shook shook his head immediately and said, mate, I'm Tyson. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of this place of – just done a road trip from sydney just mainly just to come down here i'm absolutely stoked i didn't think you'd be here um i heard about this show on blokes about this place on Blokeswell. and um wow i just can't believe you're here i'm actually i'm, I'm just absolutely wrapped he goes oh thanks mate you know what was what did you like you know what was the most interesting part what did you like the most and i just didn't have an answer there was just uh too many things to too many things to check out it was just um just an absolute field day and uh Yeah, we got Chang for a little bit and, um, yeah, he said, oh, well, you do realise that your $2 entry admissions gets you um, a cup of tea with me as well. So if you've got time, you want to sit down and have a chat, then I'm more than happy to. So (laughs) I was just wrapped. I thought, you know, there's this guy who's put in so much hard work for this place just for the sake of uh, a bit of tourism and for the public to get a bit of enjoyment out of it. And there I am having a cup of tea with this legend and, um, yeah, had a bit of a chat. And then I thought, oh, look, I've got to head off. You know, there's any chance I can get a photo. And, uh, yeah, got a photo with him and... Uh yeah, he's a great guy and his wife is lovely as well. And yeah, made my way through to Adelaide and yeah, it was just kind of wrapped. It just, you know, for whatever week it was in my trip, that just made my whole week. And um, yeah, I was just absolutely stoked that I was able to go to a place like that and check it out and just kind of really soak in the the community spirit and the community offerings that everyone had, uh, you know, provided to him in the place as well, because there was old FJ Holden's, there was old fire trucks, there was old, uh, yeah, dentistry's, there was old uh, tools and equipment. There was anything you could think of from that period was in that town, and uh, it was an absolutely astonishing place. So, if anyone in the South Australian area, uh, you know, has got a bit of free time during this lockdown, or you know, if you, I uh, don't have the same restrictions as New South Wales at the moment, make sure you get down to Old Taylorm Town because I promise you will not regret it one bit at all. One thing I will say as well is going from uh, you yeah, Milton to Eden Milp and Melbourne, and Road and that sort of stuff. It was all, you know, the, the uh, 12 Apostles was really nice. It's a really, really nice drive as well. Uh, while I was uh, at this campground at the, at, uh, near the, near the 12 Apostles, I remember setting up my camp, or was, I was sleeping in the back of the wagon most of the time, but I was setting up the awning. I was setting up the awning and, uh, you know, the kind of, um, the little floor mat thing that I had and, uh, just making a little area, just a little set up for myself. And, uh, I had my cup of tea, had uh, the uh, jug, jug boiling, ready to get my cup of tea ready, everything else. But I'd set up the awning, and given we we're right next to the ocean, I thought oh, I'll I'll tie it down, but just not yet. You know, I want to, uh, you know, get the jug boiling, get a, get a few things sorted. I Thought All right, cool. I Started reading my book. I think got a bit distracted, and then <laughs> the wind picked up, and uh, the, the bloody awning that I'd, uh, um, I've set up had bent, and bent over to the other side of the car, <laughs> and bent the rail and everything else. And <laughs> I was going, oh shit. <laughs> oh, no. So there I was in a panic trying to fix the awning and a few other people come and you know try to bend it back. And uh, you know, once the wind died down, I thought, oh, you know, I'll see if it closes, you know, see if it uh, closes and zips up and everything else, which it did. Um there was a bit of a a bit of a size difference in the bend between the rail, but um yeah, it's still folded back up and everything else. And it still works to this day. Um, you yeah, know, it's just a bit it's a bit worn out, but you know, like most things, you know, wear and tear. Uh, especially with uh, awnings, that sort of thing, depending on where you set them up. Uh, you know, they won't last forever unless you get a good quality one. But um, the one that I've got still set up, you know, it just does it does the job. It does the job. So I eventually, yeah, tied it down and it was all kind of set. And, um, yeah, I remember taping up with uh, duct tape, the front and back, just to make sure, you know, it was all kind of, uh, you know, nice and safe before I went through to uh, Tail and Bend then uh, through to Adelaide. But um, yeah, was, that was probably the only little disaster that happened on the trip. So uh, yeah, once to remember it's still on the it's still on the car now. It still works again. Not the um, yeah, not the most expensive or you know most good quality, but um, yeah, it does the job and yeah you know, provides shelter when you need it or shade. So the main point I was getting back to was uh, yeah, all the roads going from Sydney pretty much through down to Adelaide was all just main highways and that sort of thing. Besides the Great Ocean Road, um, but then I think the point where I realised. Where you know I was like, right, this is like, oof, like this is proper outback country. This is you know this is really something else. Was when I drove from Adelaide all the way through to Broken Hill. So it's a bit of a stretch. I'm pretty sure it's like I don't know 680k's or something. Smashed it all out in a day with about I think there was 30 or 20k's left of petrol left in the tank, and managed to get to the main uh, I think it's the Shell service station that. Um, broken hill like just in time and just on the fuel limit and you know filled straight back up but uh, the drive there that whole eight hour drive that is what really made me appreciate the landscape and the surroundings of you know like proper outback Australia. So it was about two or three hours of you know just driving through this straight road and then it got a bit gravelly you know the road wasn't as smooth and then it's uh, yeah, then the road just started to get to like this kind of real, like really red, like really red dirt gravel. And I kind of thought, oh, I've never really kind of traveled on you know, on terrain like this before. Um, again, the station wagon still, still, you know, holding strong and still getting us from eight, you know, still getting us there and was doing tough, still doing tough. But, um, yeah, I kind of thought, right, it's gone through this, so I can, you know, you can kind of go through anything really. And, uh, probably about two hours into driving on this really kind of blood red, earthy kind of, you know, terrain. I started seeing wild cows, goats, kangaroos, and emus, you know, all scattered all at different times of the drive, all across the highway. And it wasn't until about probably half an hour into so when that all started occurring. I just naturally just got this kind of just big natural rush. And I remember it was in my car, I started almost punching the ceiling, just going like, yes, Yes, like I've hit, like I'm literally in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like I've hit outback country. Like, whew, like I just, oh, just, just screaming with joy in the car. I sort like, yes, like I was going to set out to go out to some of these areas. Didn't know what to expect, and as soon as the road and terrain started hitting like that, I just thought like, yes, like tick that off the box. Like I'm absolutely so bloody stoked. This is unreal. So you know, I don't even think I had the radio on at that time. I just. Soaking everything in, yeah, you know, or even, yeah, you know, even if there was no reception, didn't have any music or any podcast or anything going. I was just, look, just looking, just spending the whole time just looking, just at every single thing the the shrub, the trees, the different environment, uh, just literally knowing that I was in a completely different place. And yeah, it just gave us a lot of joy. I just, I was absolutely stoked. So the dry finished, and ended I've gone back, uh, you know, through to the, camping ground or caravan park or whatever it was at Broken Hill. And it was only kind of a stopover because at that point I had 800 bucks left and I had a few different places to check out. Uh, I think probably halfway on the trip, um, you know, I wasn't buying beers and, uh, you know, expensive meals and that sort of stuff anymore. It was a can of uh, baked beans and a can of tuna, uh, you know, mixed together every night. And I'm pretty sure I was just swinging on a bag of goon from time to time if it ever felt like a bit of alcohol. So... I, stripped, I kept my uh, food boring and my travels interesting. That was my little motto I had for the trip. And I uh, got to Broken Hill probably just before sunset and then the sun started going down. And what's crazy about western New South Wales, maybe other parts in different states as well, but that whole kind of environment, that real you know rugged outback terrain, um, once the sun started going down, it, the whole sky was just pretty much the same colour as the dirt I just drove through. And... At this point, like to so during my trip as well, I just got a bit of a creative kind of just uh, spark along the way as well. I brought this massive kind of A3 book and just started scribbling down. I started, you know, just getting into a bit of drawing, just drawing just, I don't know, all sorts of things and uh, just Googling, you know, just how to draw some basic shapes of certain animals and then putting patterns in them and that sort of stuff just for, you know, just for a bit of fun, a bit of downtime while I was, you know, sitting in my camp chair with, I don't know, nothing else to do or if I wasn't reading a book or whatever. So... I thought, yep, yeah, you know, I've just had a wicked day. I'm just going to get this book out. And I started drawing an emu. And uh, I remember I was drawing this emu and the sun started going down. It was the same color as the dirt I was just drove through. And I just kind of, again, had this other just kind of rush. And I just stopped and I looked down, looked at what I was doing. And I kind of said to myself, I was like, right, like, you're drawing, you're drawing an emu. You've got a cup of tea, you know, to the left of you, like next to the table. Just – when you're out in Broken Hill, like you're in Western New South Wales, like this is the most—it's the most Australian experience like you've ever come across to date. Like this is, this is absolutely crazy, uh, you know. Like a, you know, like I kind of I've commended myself. I thought, you know, like, good on you. Like you've actually set out and done this, and now you've got such a you know like an unreal story to tell for people when you get back. And um, yeah, that just you know. So the main kind of highlights were. Old Salem Town in uh, Adelaide, and then a drive up to Broken Hill and then driving through to Broken Hill too. And um, yeah, I just, oh, I was hard to sleep because I just kept thinking about just, you know, just that whole day that I encountered and just what a joy it was. So the next day I was making my way through to, where was it? I think it was through to Dubbo. I was catching up with my cousins and um, let, yeah, they put me up for the night, which I was uh, very thankful for. And uh, on the way through to Dubbo. I stopped at a place called Silverton. Silverton is just off from Broken Hill, but if uh, no one knows, Silverton is where they have the official Mad Max 2 museum and a really nice pub next to it as well. So again, you know, coffee, toast, you know, set out, had a nice breakfast and I thought, all right, I'm gonna make my way out to Silverton, check out the Mad Max 2 museum and check out, you know, what it's all about. You know, I'm obviously a big fan of uh, the Mad Max movies as well. They were all filmed out in, you know, those ways and again, that kind of uh, further emphasises the Australiana, you know, part of the movie and the whole, uh, you know, culture, cult, you know, cult culture of that film and the, you know, all the films before and after Number Two. So I was driving out through to Silverton, and uh, you know, there wasn't too many cars in the road, and I was turning right to go through to this main road, which takes you into the museum and the pub. And lo and behold, I stopped, and it wasn't a car or a pedestrian crossing. It was an emu and five of her chicks. <laughs> so, given the day that I've just had before, driving through the red dirt, getting this natural rush, just going, like, Yes, you know, I've hit out our country, drawing an emu the day before, and then watching this emu and five of her, you know, her five of her chicks or, you know, five of her babies cross the road. You know, it wasn't a, no, no traffic lights. It was more like a giveaway kind of area. And my jaw just dropped. I thought, Like, this cannot, you can't have just start out the day any better. Like, <laughs> no way of just, watching this emu and five of her babies walk across the road. And, uh, you know, it was just like, wow, just another great experience, you know, just, you know, something else to soak in. And uh, eventually I yeah, started making my way through to, uh, to Silverton and through to the museum. And there I see a, a white Ford Falcon with a lady, uh, you know, parked over the side of the road with a lady kind of waving her arms over. And what I did with this trip as well is I thought for just for a good bit of safekeeping and, you know, following my dad's advice is, Make sure you always have some kind of uh, just tools with you, yeah, a bit of a toolkit, and just to make sure that if anything goes wrong, you know you can, you know, use what you need just to uh, get yourself out of trouble. So there's this lady, you know, trying to wave people down. A few people passed her. It was a long stretch of road, so I saw it from quite a while away. So I've gone over and I've gone, oh, hey, you know, like you know, what's going on? You know, what's the problem? And she's gone, oh, bro, borrow, borrow this car from my brother. You know, he said he put new tires on it, but he's you know, been out in the piss the week before and done burnouts with his dumbass mates, and I needed the car. And you know, my my car's broken down. I'm driving out to work. So I already oh, work? She said, "I work at the pub at Silverstone." I said, oh, "Okay." She says, "Yes." Yeah, so, you know, the tire's blown out. So I've got the spare here, but the yeah, the the other tire is just like it's stiff. You know, like it's almost like it's seized up. I just can't get it off. But um, the jack that I've got for it, and the you know, the one that the spare tire, uh, you know, jack and kit and everything else that I've got. It's a bit dog shit, you know. It's just not really not really giving it. So, you yeah, know, I just need, just need a hand. I said, oh, okay, look, I've got my spanners and my soggers and stuff with it. So, I'll, you know, like I'll give it a go. And so ended up, you know, changing the tire over for her. And she goes, oh, thank you so much. You're a lifesaver. You know, I can still get to work now on time. You know, the boss isn't going to rip me to shreds. Um, you know, how can I repay you? And I just said, oh, look, you know, don't worry about it. It's all right. You know, it's just a small favor, you know, like, yeah, nothing of it, you know. No worries, you know. So she goes well, what are you what are you doing out here anyway? I said, oh look, I've just done a road trip from Sydney. I'm kind of on my tail end of um, of it, you know. Like I'm heading through to du- uh, to Dubbo and the Blue Mountains and stuff afterwards. But um, yeah, I thought I'd check out the Mad Max Two Museum. I just said, oh great. Well, you know, as I've just stated, I work at the pub, so um, yeah. If you you know, once you finish at the museum, come out to the pub. I'll shout you free entry uh, and a beer as well. You know, it's on me. You know, like you know, for changing the tide. You know, like I'm. Gonna give my you know, tell my brother a new one when I get home. But um yeah, you've you know you saved my skin for the week, you know. Thanks so much, you know. the boss isn't gonna boss isn't gonna get the shits and I can get to work on time. So, you know, if there's anything that I can do, look, I'll you know give you free entry and a beer into the pub. And uh yeah, look, just say it to me, you know, like I'll recognise your face when you come in. So I thought, oh, unreal, you know, like you know, I'll take you up on that, absolutely. So uh, you know, I had an absolute field day at the Mad Max Tea Museum. And after I left the museum, uh there was another little hut just kind of in between the museum and the pub as well. And there were all these kind of cartoony kind of cartoon character looking emus within these, uh, you know, painting, paintings of all these different kind of uh, environments. And I thought, oh, what's this, you know? So I had a look in and there's this artist called John Dinan, And if you guys haven't heard of John Dinnan, J-O-H-N-D-Y-N-O-N, have a look on Google. Uh, he makes some absolutely incredible artworks. And he's got a gallery in Silverton. So ended up having a, kind of a quick look in the gallery in Silverton. Yeah, really good quality work. Uh yeah. I would I'd, I'd say look the I'd say the price was fair, but given the budget and the time that I had and uh everything else uh yeah, in my situation in my trip, I thought look, you know, I might come back in the future and purchase one. But uh, for now look I'll just have a bit of a browse and yeah, know, it's a really nice uh, gallery. So I went to the John Dinner Museum and then went out to this pub. You know, got a really nice feed there. Uh, got a free beer and free entry as the, as the lady provided. And, um, yeah, just had a, an absolute cracker day, uh, you know, prior to the day that I had before. So I can't remember how far it was from Silverton to Dubbo, but ended up going through to Dubbo, that Arvo, and, uh, yeah, stayed with a couple of my cousins, you know, had a really nice time. I uh, went from Dubbo through to the Blue Mountains the next – yeah, I think it was the next day. Um, again, these are pro- – you know, there are a lot of kilometres, a couple of hundred kilometres a day. Sometimes it did take a bit of energy out of you, but depending on what you were seeing and uh, all the different, you know, surrounding environments, you know, it was just still quite an energetic experience just soaking in kind of all the different places you were driving past by. So you went through to Dubbo, then Blue Mountains, and eventually on the way home. But, uh, yeah, the highlight of that trip was, um, yeah, Old Tatham Town, and then going up through to Broken Hill, know uh, yeah, Silverton, seeing the emus cross the road and going through the Mad Max 2 Museum, the John Dinner Gallery and the pub after. And uh, yeah, it was just it was just a really great time. So I ended, I ended up working out that I did 5,000 Ks uh, in about a month on a two grand budget. And half the time it was uh, all the unpowered uh, caravan sites were about 20 bucks a night. So yeah, that was pretty good. I just had, you know, battery packs and charge things in the car when I was driving and all that sort of thing. Again, it didn't really use much power, just a bit of gas. It has had the little butane gas cookers uh, just for, you know, coffees and dinners and that sort of thing. And I kind of thought, well, cool, this is the first kind of solo trip that I've done, but also one of the first kind of trips that I've done into into the outback. And it was really, really something. So, yeah, I showed a lot of photos along the way. Uh, what you'll see on the main picture for the little bit dusty uh, main picture or local image, whatever you want to call it, is a photo of me, you know, the selfie next to the Ned Ned Kelly statue. That is out near Silverton. So if you guys are out that way and you're listening, send us a a photo with the same Ned. I'm sure he's still around. I'm sure he'll still say good day. And, yeah, tag us in the photo at A underscore little bit dusty on Instagram or at underscore B-I-G-T-Y-S, big BigTies on Instagram too. And yeah, I'll be sure to uh, have a look. So that was the first trip that I did. And it really just gave me a bit of an itch to kind of go out, either back out that way or to another area similar. So it got to Christmas 2018. I was up at uh, my folks' place. They moved out of Sydney, probably around mm, the same, a similar kind of time that, that I moved out of uh, home as well. And yeah, you know, Dad's gone. What are you doing in? Was it June? What was it? What are you doing in July next? Next year? I said, ah, oh, look, I'm not really too sure. You know, like I haven't really put anything on the calendar because I think at that point I was uh, just I don't know just scourging around for work. I just, you know either doing you know a bit of the hospitality stuff and some labouring stuff as well, or working with my housemaid as well at the time. So it was all pretty kind of uh, loose and flexible. I said, oh, I'm not really too sure. You know, why is that? He said, Oh, well. I want to go out to this festival, you know, this Big Red Bash Festival up in Birdsville. You know, we want going to take about you know, six weeks off and try and uh, make you know, make a big trip out of it. You know, so I know you've done your solid trip you know, uh, last year. This was in 2018, last year. So uh, let us know what you want to think because you know, tickets are probably going to go pretty quick. And you know, I'd love to go out there. We'll take the caravan out and you know, check a few different places out, some places I haven't been to in years and also some places I haven't been to before at all. I said, oh, okay, great. You know, well, what's the big red bash? And he said, oh, well, it's this massive music festival out in the Simpson Desert, and the lineup changes all the time, but it's going to be a massive, like, you know, Australian kind of just rock festival of pretty much bands from the late 70s to 80s and, you know, a bit of the 90s as well. So that kind of tickled me a bit and thought, oh, great, you yeah, know, that sounds good. And I said, well, who's, who's playing this year? And he said, well, Midnight Owl's headlining. And I just went, yep, yeah, no, nah, just, yep, yeah, done done he said look I'm, i'll get the tickets you know more than happy to So, sweet cool all right so now i know that in july i'm going to you know have a six week trip going to this you know this festival in the middle of the desert you know, and midnight oil are going to be headlining and as i said earlier they were you know they were the headliner of the of that lineup for that year and they've got a bit of a special place in you know in my heart at least because uh, it was the music that my dad grew up to he saw them play at, you know all sorts of different surf clubs and pubs along the beaches before they, you know absolutely exploded, um, he's you know you had him on record. He's had some of the greatest hit CDs, and he's a massive, massive fan. And you know we, well, me and my other siblings, you know, were listening to Midnight Oil as well at home because you know it was the music that he grew up with. So it, yeah, so it's a bit of a nostalgia for both of us. You know, one one for me because it was the music that my dad listened to, but also for him because it was the music that he grew up with, essentially. So I thought this would be this would be great, and then I started thinking about it more and more, and I thought this is actually going to be this is going to be quite a trip. So, uh yeah, we got to about mid-July and, you know, packed up all my stuff and got ready, you know, went up to their place and had the caravan set up. And uh, the first place we stopped at was, uh, yeah, I think it was Moree. And what I did know about Moree and the same with uh, Lightning Ridge is um they have these uh, things called artesian spas. So if you don't know what an artesian spa is, it's – uh it's a massive spa, but the water is water that um, comes from, you know, the kind of the core of the – I suppose the core of the earth, like the where it's so low where it's not cold water. It runs hot. It's set at a particular temperature. So from memory, the artesian spa in Mori is set at 39 degrees, but it's, uh, I suppose, fair to say maybe not as naturalistic looking. It's set out more like a big kind of pool. There's two kind of uh, – there's two pools, like kind of either side, and there's two – Spa little spots as well. One of them, I think one of them is at thirty seven, and one of them is at thirty nine. So if you know, if anyone else has been there, just correct us if we're wrong, and I'll update the details. But um, yeah, that's the first time I went to an artesian spa, and it takes. A, I'll tell you what, it takes a long while to wade in and you know have your body adjust to that temperature. And you know, as nice as it was, uh, you know, we were in there for you know quite a bit. And uh, all, all the, one a good thing about the artesian spas is. A lot of the water that um you know comes out from you know into these spas is there's a lot of really nice rich minerals in them as well. So it's really good for your skin. And there's you know, l- l- bits and pieces of you know, all sorts of minerals um that come up through this water. And I think this one at Moree had a couple of jets as well, so you know, always good to have that nice pressure on your back and that sort of stuff. And uh Yeah, we you know, checked out this Artesian spa and then you know checked out the pub. Uh, that was another good thing as well. Good thing about this outback traveling is every pub's different, you know, and if you, you know, have a chat to some of the locals and like what Nick Cap was saying in the first episode, you have a chat to some of the locals and just have a bit of a yarn about all sorts of stuff, you can really get a different perspective of, you know, walks of life from other people and what it's like to live out in these areas too. So we ended up, yeah, going to this artisan spa. We were at Moray for a little bit. Went through to Bollen. Um Again, yeah, all just kind of unpowered caravan uh, parks or just little campgrounds or whatever. Uh, oh, the, the sunsets in some of these places—the sunsets are just you couldn't recreate them. They're just oh, they're just absolutely unreal. It's just a, a ni- another nice sort of feature about doing these kind of trips. More through to Bolin, you know, traveling further up north. Uh, then we get to get yeah, the kind of as I said before the Queensland border, and you go further west. We went through to Carnamah, and in Carnamah there's a massive statue, and it's called uh, the Carnamah Fella which is the song by Slim Dusty. They've got a massive plaque there. Have You have a bit of a read and have a bit of an insight as to what the song's about and a bit of the history of the place as well. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's where you get your things like your, your really good lifelines and vinnies and uh, and other different shops like that as well. That's where, that's where all the good stuff is out in all these regional places, you know, really good prices and that sort of stuff, you know, good quality stuff secondhand uh, rather than, you know, like a Vinnie's in Mossman or something where everything's like priced and it's just that little bit different. So so we checked out Cunamallah that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, stayed there for a night and then we ended up making our way through to Charlieville. And the cool thing about Charlieville was uh, I think they've commercial well they've commercialised and you know, and welcomed uh, camel into the into the meat industry up there as well. So we had the chance to actually try a camel burger and you know what? It was actually pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I love you know big monster burgers, and I've been eating meat, and you know love a good steak and rump and pork chops and that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, we both took oh, me we I will try this camel burger and see what that was like. And it, I'll tell you what, it's a bit gamey, kind of like kangaroo, but uh, yeah, it was pretty enjoyable. So another little kind of thing that we you know imaginarily ticked off the list. Something we didn't we expect that we would do, but uh, yeah, ended up trying, which is pretty nice. And then uh, you know again further and further west uh in near birdsville it's a place called Baduri as well so in Baduri they are uh, we we timed it pretty well there was the Baduri camel and pig races were a week off from the bash and to get to birdsville you have to go from Baduri so everyone was kind of saying oh you're here for you know the camel races or you're here for the big red bash you know like you know everyone's just chatting around again they were i think yeah there's an artesian spa there as well so Again, we had a swim in the pool, uh out the other pool and then warmed up in the spa and then everyone else was having a chat saying where they're from, the kind of places they've been and where, you know, where they've seen so so far and where they want to go next. So I said, Oh, you've got to go to the camel races, you have to go to the camel races. It is it's just such a good day out. There's just, you know, there's kind of nothing like it. And I said, Oh, okay, well, never really been to any kind of racing event really. Wasn't really into the Melbourne Cup or anything like that, so we said, sweet, yeah, we'll go to the, we'll go to the uh, camel and pig races and check it out. So, you know, they had a couple of bookies there and, you know, you can bet on which camel and it's funny because I've never really seen a camel race before and they're they're kind of big clunky things and they just kind of gallop around but they're, they're not really that well behaved. You can see some of the jockeys are really trying to, you know, get them all nice and focused and ready for the race but some of them would take off early or some of them would try and, uh, you know, bite the you bite the heels off the jockey to try and get them off. And, yeah, they're just cheeky little animals. And, yeah, it was that was that was just an absolutely great day out. You know, it was great weather. Um, I think I'd have eventually acquired different bits of kit along the way. I bought a, you know, a really nice hat. Uh, got the, you know, nice kind of uh, just dress shirt, camel and pig races dress shirt. They were both just sinking beers, having a good time. And uh, in between the camel races, you could hear from the other side the announcer Uh, Announcing the next pig races. So I thought, well, what are these pig races going to entail? What's going to be, what's going to make this so, so interesting? And (laughs) lo and behold, they're not actually full size pigs. They're all little piglets and there's this kind of little, this kind of little enclosure and there's different uh, haystacks kind of stacked on top of each other and little obstacle courses and different little tunnel things along the way. So the way the pig races work is they're all little piglets and they all have different colored jackets on and you can bet for, you can bet on a certain pig for, for you know, depending on what kind of coloured jacket it's got on. And the aim of the race is to, is for the first pig to go through all the obstacles and then eventually jump onto these different levels of hay. And on the top level of the hay is a bowl of milk. So the first pig to get to the bowl of milk and start drinking it wins that particular race. So we'll kind of, Swimming and throwing between going, you know, watching the pigs, betting on the pigs, and then going on the you know, over to the camels and betting on the camels as well. And uh, the cool thing about the pig races was a large, yeah, you know, massive chunk of the money was all donated towards uh, the, the town of Baduri and you know, making it go towards different uh, important things like uh, you know, school upgrades and that sort of thing, too. So I'm not. I can't remember how much money they clocked for the end of the day, but it was a lot. It was an astronomical amount. So everyone was more than happy to you know bet a lot of money on these pigs. And um, yeah, you want a bit of cash back, which is good. But the main thing they kept stating was a lot of it went to back to the town of Paduri and would go for things like you know like uh, you know new chairs for the school or new lights for you know like the hall theater or you know different things like that. So it was good to see that kind of intention. And also you get to see. Uh, that kind of well-informed kind of, you know, financial objective of, you know, putting on an event like that in those kind of areas rather than just having the individual who organizes it or just straight up profitize from it and not really have any other kind of advantage for the town. So the Bedouin Camel Races were really, really cool as well. Uh, another great highlight. And then, yeah, we ended up heading out to the Big Red Bash. I could talk for hours and hours and hours about the Big Red Bash, but um Oh, yeah, as I said before at the start, it was just a – it was a hell of an experience. You know, again, it was music that Dad grew up on and that I was listening to as well. And the best part about Me Not All when they started was they started with The Dead Heart. So it's one of my favourite tracks and I've covered it in, you know, in a band before. And, you know, it's just a great song to play on the guitar, to sing, to play bass to, all sorts of things. And they started with The Moon, probably about – it was still rising. But eventually when they started, everything kind of kicked off. The moon was just almost that same kind of blood red as the dirt I was driving through at Broken Hills. And then I remember I looked at my dad and just kind of sort of like, wow, like this is this is what it's all about. You know, like here I am, you know, with you know, with my father, listening to the music that he grew up with and the moon's the moon's just taught, you know, turned absolutely like blood orange, blood red. And I just knew there was just gonna be an absolutely wicked night from there on. You yeah, know, they were really great. Nights before that, so it was a three day festival, but um, yeah, we'd been on oil, played, and they played for just so long, and they just kept going and kept going. And they, on, they, you know, they come back out with the encore of uh, the Power of the Passion, that was an encore song, and yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just a hell of a time. It just really is just what made the trip just that much better. But on the way back, we went through places like Burke and Lightning Ridge, that sort of thing. Uh, again, all really great areas. Uh, we got to see one of the oldest, uh, I think one of the oldest and one of the last remaining steam train engines fire up and uh, have a bit of a, a day with that and, you know, read up on the info when the presenter that was there was talking about, you know, the engine and how it works and that sort of thing. So they're just all these kind of just obscure, like really cool, like novelty things that you wouldn't get out in the city or out in the coastline, you know. Like this is, this is what, you know, these towns have. This is what their sorts of... Uh, attraction for tourism and everything else, and you just don't know about these places until you chat with more people or until you get out there yourself and really check it out. We ended up going through to Lightning Ridge. Now, I've heard a lot about Lightning Ridge, and what Lightning Ridge is famous for is its uh, opals. We ended up staying there for a couple of days, and the neighbors or our you know, Caraman park neighbors I said, Oh, you know, you when, what day is you leaving? I, said, oh, I can't remember what day it was. They said, Oh, make sure you hang around just for at least another two. Because the Opal and Gem Festival's on. We thought, oh, okay, well, no, what's that about? And no kidding. There was the whole town was just absolutely covered with people. People were flying in from all over the world and the main the main kind of exhibition was at the um, RSL. I think it was yeah, at the top level of the RSL. And there was I'll tell you what, there was some absolutely Bloody beautiful opals there, that, you know everything that'd be like, yeah, out of my price range from you know from lifetimes times lifetimes. There were some really exquisite opals there, and it was really cool just to check it out and the interest of a lot of other people that were buying and selling us sort of stuff as well. But then I started to uh, you know get informed about the difference between like a pure opal, a uh, duplet and a triplet opal. So the difference between you know the duplet opal, which it's got a kind of like perspex kind of glass kind of Covering over it to make it still look reflective, but it's not the pure. It's not the pure stone. So again, I didn't really know. But again, you don't really know these things until you go out and check these areas out. So the, yeah, the the Opal and Gem Festival was uh, really eye opening. That was pretty cool. And yeah, we stayed there for quite you know, a bit longer, you know, a couple more days. And there was some uh, wild kangaroos around. Yeah, so it was nice to see again all the different wildlife that you go and and see when you go to these different places. is just absolutely unreal. What I really liked about Lightning Ridge as well is um, every part of Lightning Ridge is described by a different colour car door. So the main caravan park and uh, I think the pub next to it as well. I can't remember the colour order, but I say what I say by what I mean by car door is there'll be a pole with a, literally a car door on top of the pole, sprayed either red or green or purple or whatever. So. I was looking around originally when we got to the place. It's like, what the hell are these car doors? I'm doing all these poles, and then yeah, it, it does, you know, lo and behold, the main pub, uh, let's just say for example, and the caravan Park was the red coloured door, and the place where you can go and fossic and pick for your own uh, opals was at the yellow coloured door, and I think there was a golf course there as well, like just a pure, just shrubby desert kind of golf course, eighteen holes or whatever. Was at the green car door? And you had this little map when you went to the information centre and there they were all, uh, yeah, just all on a map and that's literally the way you got to different areas. So I just found that super interesting because, again, you don't really get those out into main suburban areas or CBDs or any other kind of, you know, areas on the coastline and stuff like that. So another, you know, cool thing to soak in, which is uh, pretty interesting. But then when we got to Burke. We went to a couple of different uh, art galleries and that sort of thing. That was really nice. And at Burke, there was – you could walk up to there was this uh, river that was there and there was this uh, this boat that you could go on that was, you know, I think it ran probably twice a day and it would take you around the river and give you a bit of a history around Burke. And we got to the, you know, end of the walkway where you would hop onto this boat and these guys have guys gone, oh, are you guys here for the boat tour? said, oh, well, didn't really know there was one there, but, oh, well, yeah, okay, I suppose, yeah, if it's on. I said, oh, well, we haven't had it going in ages. So, you know, we we need about three and a half metres of water of, of uh, you know, deep to to run the thing. But we've only had about a metre for eight, nine months. And, yeah, there's just not much water around this town. I thought, oh, shit, no, that's no good. And then a lot of people we were talking to, some of the, uh, you know, some of the indigenous guys at the art galleries as well, started talking about a lot of problems with the lack of water in places like Burke and other places we went through further as well, like Walgett, and Narrabri and those sort of places too. And even one of the lakes we went past, it just—it was pretty—it was pretty damn low. And I'd have to say it didn't really look natural. So then, all the different conversations we were having with this guy and this other couple that was next to the end of the you know walkway for the river to do the tour as well, all started talking about uh, things like floodplain harvesting buying and selling off water and all these kind of bureaucrats and things that are, uh, you know, making money off trading this, you know, like a natural uh, resource, something that we all need. So when we kind of got back home from the trip, I started really getting a bit of an interest as to kind of what's going on with with that whole thing of, you know, with water and whereabouts we travelled. Well, it goes through the Murray-Darling Basin, which as a lot of people would know is the Wayne water mouth for, you know, for a lot of parts of Australia, but unfortunately, it's getting sold to a lot of other places around the world too. So another reason I kind of started this podcast originally too was to try and get a bit more of an understanding as to what is kind of going on in that territory too. I know at the start of the first episode, I said it was going to be kind of, you know, lighthearted, a bit of fun, that sort of thing. But as I said originally, it's all going to be from my curiosity and my kind of passion and curious of interest too, you know, from someone being in sydney most of my life and then going out to some of these areas where where some areas before the floods you know like in orange and Bathurst and dubbo and that were literally having a countdown the countdown was to day zero and everyone's going well, what's day zero and the day zero would have been the day where the towns would have run out of water and you know either have to go to the water, or to it was just no water at all and i kind of thought well geez like these these small towns have got they've really got not much choice they've they're really limited and something just doesn't seem right. And then further down the line, we had all the fish kills, if, You know, the footage that went just went world famous and um, ended up, yeah, sparking a lot of attention and a lot of, uh, you know, kind of curiosity as to what's actually happening. So hopefully I can get a few people on in this series, have a bit more of an understanding of this water situation and kind of what it's all about and why, people were allowed to trade and sell it off in the first place too. So I think hopefully that comes later in this series where I can chat to the appropriate people about the matter. And again, because I don't know much about it, but just from the conversations that I had with these people in, you know, these kind of parts of New South Wales where, you know, the rivers and everything flow through the basin, I just started to really pique an interest and kind of think, well, something has to – something's kind of got to be done here. So last week – uh, if you guys know uh, Jordan Shanks or, you know, the YouTube channel Friendly Geordies, he's made a documentary about this very topic with the help of Helen Dalton as well. And um, it's on YouTube now. They just literally just type in, you know, Jordan, uh, Friendly Geordies water and you should be able to see it. I'm hoping it's still up. You yeah, know, they were taking ages to actually get it out there. Part of the reason of uh, Christo, uh, Geordies, friend, uh, Jordan Shanks' uh, employees, Part of Cristo's arrest from John Baralara's anti-terror squad, which is just ridiculous in itself, was to um, yeah to try and stop this video getting out because unfortunately you know the picture is getting painted clearer where all these bureaucrats and politicians and other people are making these arrangements where they can profiteer off water. So make sure you guys get the chance to check that out, as well as Alan Jones's interview with Ron Pike. It's called "A Farmer's Desperate Plea." You can find them on the Two GB website if you just type, or if you just type in Alan Jones and Ron Pike on Google, it should be the first thing that comes up. And it's it's yeah, it's just really, really interesting. It's something that I kind of hadn't really thought about for a while until I went out to these places and had this conversation, and then yeah, you know, it's kind of refreshed in my mind uh, over yeah you know, this week where yeah, you know, John Shanks has released his documentary, as well as listening back to that old interview with Ron Pike as well. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting to see how you know a lot of our country is really dry. When in one aspect it could be drought-proofed by you know maybe more more dam building or other different you know because the main thing with people buying and selling off water as well is a lot of industries are dying too. We don't have a rice industry here anymore. Uh, corn's gone. A lot of our dairies, uh, you know, getting close to the brink of extinction really, and it's just really sad to see because you know Australia for. At one point was one of the most nutrient largest food bowls of the world. We provided so much food and rice and corn and every other thing to almost forty countries and Now, with our lack of water and you know how our country and the environment's changing uh everything that we're growing is just nowhere near as nutrient as it was what it used to be so that's something I'm really keen to find out more about and I really want to get some more kind of uh, professional perspectives on it too because it's something i've Deep, you've got a very deep interest in ever since going to these places and ever since these kind of new videos and interviews have been emerging too. So, yeah, that's kind of left the end of my Big Red Bash trip two years ago, thinking about that a lot and trying to understand why all these people or these members of parliament always, uh, you know, rotating. They make their policies, they leave their mess, and then they rather resign and, you know, someone else gets handed the bill. And then something else happens, or then they resign, or they hide, or they disappear for a while, and yeah, everyone's starting to have that doubt in the you know in the bunch of the nationals and how it's all kind of tied in with yeah just profitizing off these natural resources. So I didn't want to end on a bit of a downer, but um I think that's just something that's just really important. And anyone who's out from you know the you know anyone on the coastline or any of the city or any CBD or any other popular area that isn't out in these rural environments, I'm really hoping that this podcast can provide, as as well as entertainment, but a lot of information as to what's actually going on with some of these issues. So there you have it. That's uh, just a bit of a spiel about why I wanted to get this podcast kind of started in the first place, a bit of my passion for the Outback, some of my personal experiences from the different places I've been and why I enjoyed them so much and all that sort of thing. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode. Yeah, there's you know no guest today, but it's just a bit of a spiel as to why I've got a bit of such a big interest in the outback from, you know, coming from Sydney and what I can try and do to just keep obtaining information and keep updated with what's happening in these communities, especially with important issues like water as well. So I hope you guys got a lot out of it. Stay tuned. I'm going to try and get these out every fortnight. We do have a bunch of people, uh, willing to jump on and share their stories. So there's going to be plenty more episodes coming. If you haven't already, make sure you like and subscribe on whatever you get your podcast. Be sure to follow the Instagram, uh, A underscore a little bit dusty or at underscore big tice, uh, my personal one as well. Send us a message if you've got your own story you'd like to, t- to share and I'd be more than happy to have a listen. I can get you on for the next episode. And the main thing I want to do here is just spread awareness and just the joys of traveling out to these areas and hopefully everyone can get a bit of a kick out of listening to these and get some more inspired to take a trip out into the open road no matter what vehicle you've got and uh go and enjoy the lovely country that is australia so thanks very much for tuning in to the second episode again thanks to everyone for all the amazing uh, support and the compliments that i've received on from episode one and i can't wait to share more stories of country rural, and outback australia <laughs>